scripture is not written for today or like yeah it's just kind of confusing so i don't know if you could like clear that up you said uh you're looking for a what i was looking into getting like a life study application bible but then like some people are saying like those type of bibles aren't really good because scripture is not supposed to conform to today's culture or it's not really supposed to like be applying that way i don't know that's why i was asking for like 60 bucks on it yeah. yeah, so I, I haven't read a life application Bible for myself, uh, so I can't really speak to what sort of contents in there. Um, but the idea that scripture is not intended to be applied today is just an erroneous idea. Then none of us could be living it out today. Um, so if none of the scripture could be applied today, then that means it's inapplicable. There's no there's no application whatsoever. Now, the, it's not a question of whether or not it can be applied today, because it would be a, an irrelevant book if that was the case. It's a question of whether or not it can be appropriately applied. And if our understanding of if the application that we assume to be the correct one is, in fact, correct. So, um, you know, because we can distort the text and butcher it to um to our own liking right so if we're not doing that and if that if that's not what the life application bible is doing um because to my understanding it just offers some sort of devotions and commentaries right if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah so then i mean there's nothing wrong with it it's just um i i would say the only thing you should look out for is uh to to look into who those commentators are who are the people that are putting this together do you know like i'll do a little bit of research and there's really no other way around it than kind of searching and stuff like i would have my bias and i would probably look out for a reformed uh, life application although i'm not a reformed guy it's just that i believe a lot what they say there's a lot of room of disagreement as well um and so the at the end of the day it's just being honest about uh, um who these people are, you know? And so, but anyways, uh, I hope that helps. Cause again, it's, it has to be applicable. See, this is the duality. This, this is the duality of the nature of scripture. It's both uh, divine and it's both human. It's a product of humans and it's a product of God. It's inspiration is from God. But remember that it's no less human in the sense that if you look at the gospel of Luke, you're going to see vocabulary inherent within that uh, gospel account that you will not find in John. John is a whole lot more simple. The syntax is different. The vocabulary is different. The way um, the, the emphasis are different. All of this stuff is different. You look at the writer of Hebrews, he's a whole lot more eloquent. Uh, than say the book of first john there's a vast difference and it's because one is a product it's all primarily a product of god in the sense that it's been inspired by the holy spirit it is infallible do not get me wrong it's absolutely infallible it's inerrant it's without mistakes but at the same time it's a it, it, it comes it god decides to use vessels with their unique vocabulary so um, you have to take notice of that. And the, anybody who does not recognize that d does not understand what they're reading 
and they're oblivious to the very text that they say they know. Um, and so, you know, uh, for example, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, you I guarantee you, it won't take for you to read but two or three chapters, and you'll find a reoccurring word, and it's called immediately. So it says immediately uh, they went to X, Y, and Z. Um, so uh, that's one of the words that John Mark uh, uses again and again and again and again, right? And that's because that's who he is as a person. And so anyways, my point in stating that is this. There is in 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 hermeneutics, hermeneutics is really just the art, what's called the art of interpretation. And whether we realize it or not, there is in fact uh, the science and an art to interpreting the text. Um, that's why we have thousands of denominations, because one person believes their hermeneutic is the correct hermeneutic, and 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 vice versa. And so <clears throat> there is um, in in that study there is what's called eternal um, relevancy. Okay, and so there's the eternality of God's word. It is eternal. It is divine. And yet there is relevancy in the sense that it must merge with humans, uh, human affairs, human context, human, you know, whatever century you're in. So, and, and whether you're in, um, you know, uh, Pakistan or whether you're in America, there is relevancy and, and, and that's because God's word is eternal. And, and so, but anyways, without belaboring the point and beating the dead horse, um, simply put life application Bibles can be good and they can be bad depending on who, uh, the people, uh, are who compiled it in, in, in any way that any other book could be bad or good, depending on who wrote it. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so with that said, I'll take one more question if anybody has one. Um, it could be really anything related to the Bible. It don't have to be related to this topic. Yes, Sister Anna? Um, you know, I have noticed that as I go to to my work, I become kind of tired and exhausted and with a lot going on around me I become so easily distracted and I was wondering how can I keep um, my focus or, or how can I store the word of God in my heart and actually apply it uh, everywhere I am I mean to store up God's word because I noticed that even though I spend time in the Bible sometimes the word does not remain in me it's it seems we sometimes easily uh, taken away. <laughs> I don't know how to say. And when I am I am tired or, or so, sometimes um, if I keep my eyes on the word and I keep repeating um, what I learned from the Bible. I mean, for example, get rid of all bitterness alongside the malice, and I keep repeating that in me. When I am in a situation like that, it's easy for, for me to remember. But if I don't repeat the words from 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 the Bible and I just focus only on what I am doing, it's easy to get distracted. And so 
what is a possible way of storing God's word and and yeah, allowing it to be effective in my life. Uh, because I also uh, wanted to take a break from social media, media and stuff like that to remove uh, some sorts of distractions so I can actually feed my spirit because I need a lot of strength with my with my time now as I'm becoming busy and I I'm easily overwhelmed. Yeah, that's my that's question. A, I think that's a really good question. Um, so you you use the word storage. Well, suppose, um, for example, you take my room and, okay, I have to just take the bookshelves, for example. <clears throat> I have a number of books, right? Now, I have sufficient space and storage, uh, space in, in my room, as you can see, to store two bookshelves. Now, as I continue to multiply, let's say I wanted maybe seven bookshelves, right? But I had a lot of uh, whiteboards and just a bunch of other miscellaneous items that had taken up all the space. Then it's, I'm not going to be able to store those additional five bookshelves. Well, by the same token, if we intend on storing God's word, that means that we should not be placing things that um, are of less priority in our hearts. So um, because we as a per we as people have a capacity um a capacity in our mind how much we can take in we have capacity in our spirit we have a capacity in all these things we are limited creatures and so depending on what it is that you're putting in you might be leaving less room for god's word okay and secondly is um prayer um i find that you know, uh, <clears throat> praying, praying to God and, and really maximizing there is what's going to really serve as the Velcro to, to kind of retain the word of God in your heart, because it has to be coupled with, because the Bible says, Jesus is my words. They are spirit and they are life. Right. Um, and that is true, but because we're so often in the flesh, or or I guess at least some of us, um, it's of necessity that we pray, and we get in the spirit, and we get in, we tap into the Lord's presence, and and really as we digress on the flesh, and as we're um, ardently pursuing God, and in prayer, um, the the Word of God is going to retain a whole lot easier. And, and it's really going to stick. And so I would just say, number one, uh, take inventory, so to speak, of what you're storing in, in your heart. So um, that's why I don't, um, I personally don't watch TV. Um, I'm not saying that if you watch TV, you're condemned or anything. Obviously, if you're watching rated X stuff, like, dude, you need to repent seriously whoever you are if that's what you're doing even if you're watching rated r um i know a lot of people want to attribute legalism to watching rated r stuff and then you have the religious person that comes what about the passion of the christ is rated r it's like okay look um we're should not, we should not be looking for loopholes on how to sin 
Um, I remember John Piper said this, and I've quoted it before. He says, don't ask if it's sin. Ask if it causes you to run faster in the race of Christ. Um, I love what Paul Washer said. He said, I don't commit to good things. I only have room for excellent things. And that can turn into a form of legalism, um, trying to weigh, is this excellent? Is this good? And all this other stuff. And it can just be calculating it could be a set of rules and just lose the whole side of why you why you're doing it to begin with right so it doesn't mean that if you're doing something good that you're sinning so don't fall into that mindset but the point is this that we should be at a level of maturity where we're not we're not trying to find loopholes on how much we can get away with until we get burned right and and so um take inventory uh, what, what and that's why you said you're taking a break from Instagram um you know uh, like for example I've unfollowed a lot of my old friends I, I tried to I was following them because I, I just want to always be in the circle be there and stuff like that around them so you know just so they can never say I've cut them off in my life uh from my life right but I came to the point where I said, you know what? I trust the spirit of almighty God. I trust the sovereignty of the Lord uh, because I just, I'm tired of seeing all their garbage. And it's not like Facebook where I can be their friend and just unfollow them. You know what I mean? Um, so um, anyways, just take note of what you're storing in there because the the more you're storing in there, um, the less room you're going to have for God's word. And I would say, um, I love uh, 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 this practice of praying over God's word, um, praying um, over the text. So I love Psalm 119, right? David says, I pant after your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And, and just going over Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the entire Bible. Um, and just praying over God, may I pant after it. Um, he says, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things in thy law. That you'd pray, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold. There's just this uh, a richness of prayer all throughout that psalm. And so that's what I, I would do as well. Um, but without further ado, um, I'm going to throw someone a curveball. And who is it going to be? I'm going to throw someone a curveball and call them on the spot. Brother Jean, don't act like you're asleep. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> Open this in prayer, man. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for, for guiding us again today, this beautiful Saturday morning, God. And we pray over this, the word that we're going to learn today, God. I pray for distraction that will come to hinder the message that we that we learned today, Father. We bound them out in the mighty name of Jesus. Let our mind focus on the word that we're going to learn today and let it apply into our life, God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. So don't don't be afraid. I'm not I won't call on someone who um is really, really shy. And uh since I know Jean is the Arch Megashon Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> I decided to call on him. <laughs> um, yeah, so <clears throat> I hope that this uh, studies of interest. It's not going to be a 
convicting message. Um, it, see, the thing is, uh, just really quickly, we have to be very careful about proclaiming the entirety of the word of God. So if we belong to a church that always wants to preach a convicting message, then that shows a deficiency in what they can proclaim. If we're at a, a church that only provides instruction, but nothing of the instruction, nothing of these sermons are ever convicting or ever really goes to the soul to encourage, and it just kind of stays in the head, then that's a problem. If um, we're uh, at a church where all, all we get is encouragement and there's no exhortation, there's no instruction, or there's never any... Um, preachings of, of repentance or maybe self-examination then that's a problem so there has to be a healthy diet of 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 all of it right if we're going to be uh faithful in proclaiming the whole counsel of god because we see all of those different aspects within scripture and so the reason why i state that is so so you guys are aware and so you guys are familiar as to why um i take time to try to cover these different um, facets of scripture, um, instruction, encouragement, conviction, it's all biblical and no, no one of those aspects are less biblical than the other. Um, so <clears throat> this might be more of an instruction that just kind of stays in the head, although um, not stays in the head, obviously it's proclaimed for the hope and the purpose that we would, um, that we would actually make application to it, right? So we don't want to just uh, speculate on our ivory towers and talk about the Bible and without any intention on ever um, applying it. Give me one second. Uh, there's another person that wants to uh, join in. But a as uh, we actually prepare, <clears throat> I want uh, I want someone to get a scripture for me. Can can someone excuse me can someone please get for me numbers chapter 11 verse 29 i'll do it awesome thank you can someone else get for me matthew chapter 3 verse 11 i got I've it i got it no, no, no. it's okay you can get it okay <clears throat> All right, John, go ahead and get Mark chapter 1, verse 8. Did you say Numbers 11, 9? Uh, 11, uh, numbers 11, verse 29. And so we're going to be doing a bit of scripture reading. In fact, this is Paul's instructions to Timothy. He says, until I come, give yourself to the public reading of scripture. That wasn't a suggestion. That wasn't a, hey, this sounds really cute and nice and most pragmatic for the church, so we're going to go ahead and do this. No, he says this is a command. It's an imperative statement. <clears throat> and um, so for those of us that are familiar with elementary English, there are different statements. There's interrogative. There's declarative. There's imperative. And so declarative is just declaring something, right? It's sunny today. There's no obligation. Like you can't, how do you impose that statement on someone? Like there's nothing for anyone to do, right? That's a declarative statement. Interrogative is where you ask questions. And imperative is I'm telling you to do this. And that's Paul's instruction to Timothy says, give public 
give attendance to the public reading of scripture. And so this is what we're doing. And so those that, um, sadly, I remember listening to Pastor David Wilkerson one time, and he said that there was these uh, Looney Tune churches um, that a man said, oh, go ahead and close your Bible because it has nothing to say to you anymore. That's uh, that's that's horrific, you know. It's uh, I don't I don't know what that man is believing. It's obviously a <clears throat> destructive heresy, but we base our faith on God's word. And so, um, let me get someone to get mm, John chap First John chapter three verse eight. <clears throat> Who guessed that one? First John chapter three verse eight. Anyone? I can take that one too. <clears throat> um and let me let me get a let me get one other person to get another verse. It's Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 through 8. I got it. Oh, okay. Go for it. Okay, thank you. All right, so <clears throat> um, what we're really looking at, uh, and keep your verses. So don't lose sight of it. Don't lose track of it, because I'll call on you when necessary to... Uh, to read it for us. Um, but I really want to begin this topic with uh, giving attention to the fact uh, of the Old Testament. And we see that straight from the gate, uh, there were miracles um, it, as early as the Old Testament. Now, while we might see, I remember John Piper said this, <clears throat> that we have to be careful not to assume that there were more miracles than were performed we also must be careful to not assume that there were less miracles than what was performed that the scriptures record. So we can't read anything from the, into the text that isn't there, nor can we subtract from the text things that are there. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, we see some very phenomenal and remarkable uh, miracles, like I have never seen a Red Sea part. <laughs> and I remember when I was earlier in my faith, Remember, I was at a river, and I literally prayed for God to part the thing, to part the river, but He didn't. <laughs> uh, there's a whole lot of context as to why God does what He does. It's not to just give you spiritual goosebumps, okay? Um, it's not just so you can, you know, post it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Um, although those are really cool things when He when He does miracles. Now there's a really, really big reason as to why God allowed Moses to part a Red Sea. Um, but besides that, the point is this, <clears throat> with the exception of Elijah the prophet and Moses um, and Elisha, really very few miracles were performed. I'm not saying that they were not performed in the Old Testament. Uh, certainly just the, by virtue of, of the miraculous gift of prophecy, when you see Elijah prophesying, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Joel, uh, Zechariah, Hosea, Nehemiah, not Nehemiah, um, David, 
that's a miracle in itself in the sense that that's a supernatural intervention that that's not uh, that doesn't originate with man and his natural abilities right and so but i'm talking about like healings and we don't even see any exorcisms when i say exorcisms i know that carries uh catholic connotations but i'm just saying it in the sense of expelling demons we don't see that in the old testament um, at least from my knowledge, the, the closest thing that we see to it is when David is playing the harp and the evil spirit leaves Saul. Now, I understand, and Jesus does say this. Um, I don't, again, we have to be careful of not reading things into the text. And I'm sure there's extra biblical history that we can look into, um, uh, maybe from uh, early Jewish sources that might give us insight as to what was actually being practiced in that time. But Jesus says, if your exorcist casts out demon, demon. Um, so this would imply that there was some form of exorcisms going on. But my point is this, while there were miracles, I'm not going to deny that. The fact is that there was a greater, there was a climax. There was a greater anticipation of what we could expect to see in the New Testament. And so, um, Brother Malachi, would you read for us Numbers chapter 11, verse 29? Yep. But Moses Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake, that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them? Okay, so we see see, um, as early as Numbers... Um, Moses is desiring that all the all God's people would become prophets, and that the Spirit of the Lord would be poured out upon them. This is what we read in uh, Joel chapter two, verses twenty-eight through twenty-nine. It says, "And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions." Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Okay, so there is this great expectation, even as early as the Old Testament, that in the latter times, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, right? So there's a desire in numbers that Moses is expressing that all of God's people would become prophets, and that the spirit of the Lord would be poured out. Oh, sister, it's in Joel chapter 2. Verses 28 through 29. And it says, It shall compa- come to pass after, uh, afterward. So, what does it mean to say that it shall come to pass? It would imply that it has yet not come to pass. So, there was a lack thereof in the days of the Old Testament with respect to Joel's prophecy and um, Moses' desire uh, to see. Abundance of an outpouring of the Spirit of God in increasing measure. Okay, and so, parenthetically, I just want to throw this as a side note. Um, in the event that someone says, oh, the gifts have ceased, because you're going to probably come across some cessationists, then ask them, are we in the last days? And, well, yes. Well, the last days began when Jesus rose again from the dead. And so in First John, he says, brethren, we know we're in the last hour. 
Okay, so undoubtedly, if they know their Bible, they should say yes. Then you just bring them to Joel chapter 2 and say, um, well, according to this text, it says that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. Okay, so it, it's, a, it's, it's logically, they're logically bound to admit the conclusion that we therefore have the gift of prophecy, what they're claiming have, has seized. Okay, so, um, but anyways, that's that's um, not what we're focusing on today. But the point is that there was a great expectation and there was, uh, it was prophesied in those times that uh, there would be in the latter times a great outpouring of the Spirit of God. Now, who has um, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11? I do. Okay, and before you read that, I wanted to state, I wanted to comment on this. So this expectation, at the time of John the Baptist, the baptizer, he, it was really heightened. It, it really reached its climactic, um, it re had really reached its climax, this heightened expectation that there would come one who would baptize in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit and in fire. So go ahead and read that verse. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me is, comes one who is more pow powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Amen. And uh, Brother Jean, can you read Mark? Just kind of serve as a, a, a correlating verse. All right. Mark chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 8. It says, I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Amen. So there's coming one, referring to Jesus, that will baptize you in the spirit and baptize you in fire. Okay, so there you have John the Baptist, who is preparing the way of the Lord. And technically, I know that you read this in the New Testament, but technically they were still under the Old Testament. I don't know if you guys knew that. So even during the life of Jesus, they were still technically under the Old Testament. It was a unique period in the sense that they were transitioning. As Jesus said, these paradoxical statements that the kingdom of God is and yet is not. And so the, he's coming on the scene. And the writer of Hebrews says that a testament, or in other words, a covenant, is without force until the death of the testator. So what he means by that is, okay... Jesus ushering in the New Testament, he's ushering this new covenant, a new and better way, the writer of Hebrews says. Well, that is without effect until the one bringing it or implementing it actually dies. Okay, so when Jesus died and rose again, that uh, that's when the new covenant was now um, enacted. That was when it had now had force and the Old Testament was passing away and uh some theologians and i don't want to get into it it can be very controversial believe that in 70 a.d at the destruction of the temple was really god's uh, affirming action that he had did away with the old religious system entirely um it's because that's where you know the veil and all the you know um utensils and stuff like that were necessary uh, what God had commanded in the Old Testament, and it was now uh, done away with. But anyways, 
going now to uh did anybody have first john chapter three verse eight oh hold on, hold on wait let me let me read matthew chapter 12 verse 28 i'm sorry so jesus uh john is now pointing people to jesus saying he is going to baptize what we had seen prophesied and what we read that was prophesied in the old and the prophets of old um is it is now going to shortly come to pass because he who has now arrived namely jesus is going to fulfill that which was prophesied and so looking oh you don't have to turn there but matthew chapter 12 verse 28 the word of the lord reads but if it is by the spirit of god that i cast out demons then the kingdom of god has come upon you so jesus is referencing the miraculous acts of expelling demons healing the sick cure uh giving sight to the blind giving speech to the the mute he's saying that is evidence that the kingdom of god has come upon you okay so um so john is pointing to jesus and jesus is pointing to what he's performing saying god's kingdom has come upon you and this is all serving a purpose. This serves a significant purpose. And the purpose I will show you is in, uh, uh, if, if Brother Malachi can read First John for us. Okay, First John 3, 8 reads, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. That's First John chapter 3, verse 8? Yep, yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. wait, wait, hold on, maybe, maybe I'm, no, my bad, I'm reading the wrong one. <laughs> hold on, <laughs> the other page. <laughs> Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. So excuse me, primarily, first and foremost, Jesus' death on the cross serves as a crushing blow to the devil, okay? Now, nonetheless, remember, though, that Jesus coming on the scene and healing the sick and casting out devils is nonetheless an act of destroying the works of the devil, okay? Because the devil is afflicting people's bodies, believe it or not. So there's not just these scientific and biological reasons that account for um, people's affliction. Um, there is certainly uh, there's certainly a truth in the sense that the devil can afflict. In the sense, look at Job, as early as the Old Testament. And as some theologians believe, uh, the book of Job was written before actually Genesis. Um, now that's that's up for debate and it's really irrelevant but just i just like throwing out those little side notes just if you guys are intrigued by that um <clears throat> but as early as Job, the devil afflicted him with boils right uh the woman that was bowed down i believe for 18 years says shall not she daughter of abraham be loosed he says woman thou art loosed right um look at the but well, that, that sufficed the point there's another, uh, there's another like cool fact about what you said too 
um, did another Bible study and we were talking about where Christ took the disciples. There's like those two instances, one on Mount Transfiguration and then the other one where he tells Peter on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Um, the, the instance, the first one on Mount Transfiguration, supposedly that's where all the fallen angels fell. Like that's the mountain that they started teaching humanity all of the insane practices, according to some theologians. Then on the other instance where Christ told Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. The rock that they were literally standing on, there was, those were, that was known as the gates to hell. So um, back in that time on that rock that they were like standing on, there's a cave behind them. And in that cave, there were lots of bestiality, pagan practices. And when Christ was killed and resurrected. Are you talking about, you talking about Gehenna? Uh, I think that's the place, yeah. But they like the point of like us like talking about that was mainly because the kingdoms of darkness, like that's like where a lot of people went to do darkness, like do some of the most like a lot of Satanism was practiced there. And then like after Christ died, yeah, a, lot of, a lot of child sacrifice. Yeah. But when he died and rose again, that stopped. Like that actually became a mainly Christian. Well, actually, Josiah the king had, had, had uh, placed the perpetual fire. So at, uh, was it the Valley of Hinnom? And in which uh, is is uh, was named, you know, by the Jews. Now, what what it was called in Greek was Gehenna, and Gehenna is translated in English the word hell, right? And the reason why it's called hell and the place where the uh, the worm dies not is because again, all the refuse and the the rubbish of the town was tossed there. So it was a really filthy place. And so there was just this ever burning fire there. And Jesus uses that to kind of analogous to refer to the actual hell. Um, But anyways, um, all right, brother, you have a good, a good one, John. Um, But continuing forward. um, Yeah. So, when we when we so this is the importance of being baptized in the spirit of god is that we can operate and function in gifts and 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 so this is what they were expecting um to be able to prophesy to you know be able to cast out devils right now um in matthew chapter did anyone have matthew chapter 10 yeah, I didn't. Go ahead and read that. You said seven through eight, right? Yeah. And as ye go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Now, at this time, all we see Jesus doing is commissioning the 12 and the 70. That was the extent of the outpouring of the uh, of the 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 authority to cast out demons to heal the sick that was pretty much the extent of those who could be able to do that at and no more but in the latter times which are are is today there's an abundance there's people all across the world who has had the spirit of god poured out upon them after uh christ's resurrection from the dead now 
we we see in Ephesians chapter four, um, it says he gave gifts unto men, and if you go there in Ephesians chapter four, it says in verse eight, it says therefore it says when he ascended on high he led a host of captives and he gave gifts unto men. Okay, and then it talks about how he gave apostles and prophets and and teachers and evangelists. And so it was of necessity that Jesus died and he ascended on high. Okay, that's why he ends up saying, wait until I ascend. And he says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, right? Um, but... Hold on for a moment. If someone would like to get Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Who has that? Okay, I'll do it. All right, thank you. Is it Acts chapter 1? Yeah, verse 8, and then let me get someone to get Acts chapter 2, verse 16. I can do it. Okay. Wait, who got that? Julia. Okay. okay. Acts chapter, and again, that's Acts chapter 2, verse 16, and then I'll go ahead and get Acts chapter 2, verse 32 through 33. So, Brother John, if you'd like to read that, please. Okay. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, mm-hmm. and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Now, Sister Julia, if you could read your verse. I'm sorry, I had technical difficulties. Um, is it Acts 2.15? 2.16. Oh, 2.16, okay. Um, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. I have to continue, don't I? Yeah, go ahead and continue. Okay, it's 17. I'm going on to 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Okay, that's good. Thank you. Now, this is Acts chapter 2, verse 32 through 33. This Jesus, God raised up. Okay, he raised him up. This is a resurrection. And of that, we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted. This is the ascension. At the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So what, was, what were they seeing and hearing? They were hearing tongues and they were seeing the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Okay. Now, tongues is one gift of many. And what we read in John, uh, what John read, this is the promise of, you know, to, what was it? Do you have that verse still? I'll read it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. Okay? And and then what Sister Julia read. And so this is the promise that Jesus had given to his disciples, and it was was first prophesied in Joel. So this is biblical. 
And, and, and so what they were expecting in the last days, remember I said that when Jesus rose again, that was the beginning of the last days. And then when Jesus actually rose again, he told his disciples, wait until, wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high and you'll be my witnesses. Okay. And so they did just that. And as some theologians believe they, that they waited in, in uh, the upper room for 10 days praying. Now, obviously they went to sleep. They were probably fasting. They may have ate. I don't know. But one thing is for certain is that they were praying nonetheless until because Jesus was ascended on high, as Ephesians 4 talks about. And once he did that, he gave gifts unto men. And so in Acts chapter 2, we see the consummation of that. We see the fulfillment of that. Okay. And so what I'm doing is kind of laying groundwork to give you context for the distribution of the spirit of God and the, the outpouring of his spirit and the giving of gifts. <clears throat> okay. And um, I know that this might be a bit of a tedious uh, study up until this point. It's, like, it's a lot of verses and stuff. But this is to help ground us in, a, in an understanding from the origins to the old, the old Testament prophetic utterances with regards to the outpouring of the spirit, the fulfillment of when the spirit of God was poured out and um, why and when it was necessary. But now we get actually to the purposes of the gifts and I'm going to ask and for efficiency and for the sake of flow, I hope that we can, I uh, hope I get more volunteers to read. Uh, some verses so if in, someone would like to get first corinthians chapter one verse seven i got it thank you brother um someone can get first corinthians chapter 13 verse 10 okay uh, okay thank you um someone can get first corinthians chapter 14 verse 12 i'll get it thank you and uh it, can someone get ephesians <laughs> chapter 4 verse 12 I got it. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> so the purpose of the gifts, and we're going to read the verses that back it up, is to equip the church and to carry out its ministry and mission until Christ's return. So who got that first verse, uh, 1 Corinthians? 1310? Oh, wait. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, right? Yeah. Okay, it says... Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for your for our Lord for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. <clears throat> Notice how he says, "You are not lacking a gift until we await for the Lord's return." So, read that one more time. It says, "Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you as you er, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed." So that implies gifts are in operation until the Lord returns. It doesn't say you're you're enriched with all uh, spiritual gifts as you eagerly wait um, uh, until Christ's return and you'll have them afterwards still. Okay, he doesn't say that. Okay, so this is actually another go-to verse to refute the cessationists. And who the cessationists, the reason why the, the word or the term cessationist formed was because it's the belief that the gifts have ceased. So the prefix 
and the word cessation and the prefix is basically the kind of the the kind of how can i say it the component of the beginning component of the word that makes the word what it is like rewind okay and i know i'm kind of teaching guys english and the reason why i do this um as well is like oh, i'm not in an english class look if you want to know the word of god don't be so overly spiritual where you say, all I need to do is pray. That's a big part. But if you did not know a language and you did not know how to read, then how could Jesus bring back to remembrance the things that were first spoken? So Jesus can't bring back to remembrance what you didn't put there in the first place. And the way you put it there in the first place is that you read and you know how to read well. Okay. And so if I don't understand grammar and I don't, I put, you know, like, for example, if I take Sister Anna's language, like Romania or Croatia or, you know, any other language or John's language, and I get a Bible in that translation, I'm like looking at it like, how do I read this? Thing? Am I reading it? Or is it the turn it this way? <laughs> right? And that's because we just take for granted that we already know how to read. But remember, in time past, Many, many ages ago, that was not the case. There were normally the, the elites, the people that had money, were the only people who knew how to read. And so that's why in the 1500s and 1400s and the Middle Ages and stuff like that, 1100, um, when Latin was a big language in, in the Catholic Church, it was the priest who shut up knowledge from the people because the, the average man did not know how to read. And it wasn't until later, you know, and I think it was 1455 with inventions of Gutenberg's uh, press of, um, and, and the expansion of knowledge and, and the, the uh, free discourse of, of knowledge and stuff like that. And, and, and as things had progressed and more and more people had come to know how to read. Um, but until then, they, a lot of people were very, very ignorant of the scriptures. Uh, but anyways, the point is this. You have to be able to pray absolutely. But understand that you must be able to know how to read well. And look, I guarantee you the church down the corner is saying the same thing. Oh, well, I prayed before I read. James, uh, what's his name? The the, uh, the heretic who, uh, Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith. He read James chapter one, verse five. It says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Well, he prayed. <laughs> that was his justification for his supposed, you know, Egyptian, the hybrid Egyptian language that he supposedly received on golden tablets. <laughs> I'm not saying that we're going to go out and do that. But the point is, look, there's this coupling. Paul tells Timothy, look into these things things that Paul's writing, for the Lord will give thee insight. So it's not at the exclusion of the other. The Lord giving you insight only comes through prayer. As David said, open thou mine eyes that it may behold wondrous things in thy law. Okay. But it's on the supposition that you're looking intently into this, rightly dividing. Right. So that comes through um knowing how to read and, and being careful to interpret and being sensitive and, and, and carefully analyzing the text and stuff like that. It's very important. Don't ever under, undermine it. I know that was a little side lecture, but it's very important. I hope that we, 
look, it's not just so we can be brainiacs. It's because there are a lot of people that will devour sheep. Okay. You know how they do that? It's false doctrine. You know how they do that? It's deceit. You know how they do that is trying to dissuade you from the truth that is in Christ. Okay, and so we have to we have to be solid on this stuff. And um excuse me. I forgot where I left off. Um uh, oh cessation. <laughs> I'm sorry guys. Um I try to be quick. And so the cessationist, it comes from the word seized. And so they'll tell you that seized, right? Or at least some, the tongues, the interpretation of tongues, spelling out demons and stuff like that, which is just apparently a lie. Because right here in this verse, it clearly proves that the gifts will remain until Christ's return. Right? So who has that next verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 10? I have that. Okay, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. <clears throat> okay, now some cessationists will say, well, that uh, that's referring to the canonization of Scripture, when that which is perfect, or when that which is complete, because it comes from the Greek word telos, which means something coming to its expected end, coming to completion or maturity. That's not talking about sinless perfectionism. And so they read that text and assume, and, and in context right here in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's talking about love, and he's talking about how we express love through um, the operation of our gifts, and he's saying those gifts will come to an end, the partial, he's, talk, he's referring to the gifts as a partial thing, he's saying those things will come to an end when the perfect comes, and cessationists take that as the completion of scripture. When that's just not even true, because in Paul's understanding, they didn't even recognize the completion of Scripture. A lot of these epistles and letters were written sporadically in need to address sin in the church. So Paul didn't foresee that. He he wasn't like, well, let me add another book to the compilation of Scripture. That's not his understanding. There's these sporadic needs that arise because, hey, so-and-so sleeping with his stepmom. That's an actual biblical example. So he's writing them and he's also writing for other, other needs that arise because they're discrediting Paul's ministry. And so out of needs like that, he writes to the churches. But in context, he's talking about that which is perfect, talking about Christ's return. And that clearly correlates with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. As we eagerly await his return... Until that occurs, these gifts will continue to remain in operation. And so there's a correlation with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10. And then um, in addition to that, if we can read 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, who has that verse? Uh, that would be me. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations, of the spirit strive to excel in building up the church okay so thank you so the first two verses were um read in order to establish that these gifts will remain until jesus returns now i'm sorry sis could you read that one more time 
Sure. Um, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Amen. Now, this is important because Paul is telling us that the way that we build up, or another word for that is edify, in a very similar way that we edify ourselves when we pray, that's what the scripture says, um, that, that, it, that it's important that we operate these gifts for that purpose. We don't want to tear each other down. We want to build each other up. We want to edify one another. And so if we say, I love the church of Jesus Christ, I love his body, I love his people, well, part of that is what is uh, understanding your gift, coming to terms with figuring that out, and then utilizing that, operating it, using it until Christ's return. Because when he returns, then he will build us up completely and perfectly. There will be no more need for that because the partial will be done away with and the perfect shall come. We you. shall be perfected. And so, um, I, and I want... Uh, us to read Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12. Who has that uh, verse? I do. <clears throat> for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay. Uh, and continue that. Read that a little bit more. So we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. <clears throat> notice yeah. it says until we become a perfect man that's that same greek word telos so jesus has an expected in for his church right he has an expected in for his entire church to come to so that at be, until we wait jesus's return which that perfection that we're hoping for that we're building up to more and more the, until Jesus returns, that will be fully consummated. That will be entirely fulfilled. That is when it, we will receive our expected end, right? But until then, we continue to build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the corner, chief cornerstone. That's what it says in Ephesians 4. And in Ephesians 4, what is he talking about? The distribution of gifts. He gave gifts unto men for the work of the ministry, for the unifying of the body of Christ. To, uh, to we all attain to the knowledge of the son of God unto perfect uh, unto uh, mature manhood or as, unto a perfect man depending on what translation you read so mature manhood or as unto a perfect man it's the same word mature perfect expected in coming becoming complete it's what we read in first Corinthians 13 right that uh, the partial will be done away with and perfect shall come Perfect won't come until Jesus comes, right? Is it? I'm hoping that this is making sense. I know this is a lot of unloading and verses, and um, it might be overwhelming. I hope that we're able to process it all. Um, but anybody have any questions? I, I don't want to continue with, and maybe some of you guys don't understand. Anybody? Are you guys, I'll oh, go ahead. So when like, 
Christ writes to, well, I don't even know if he's technically writing to, but John wrote the book of Revelation, essentially. And then, like, we see that Christ kind of, like, has, like, a hard conversation with the church or informs the church, like, I know of all your deeds. Um, when Paul's writing his letters, like, this is, like, I, I guess that, that is, like, bleh. when Paul's writing his letters, it's just for that moment in time. Every, every time it's just to address what recently happened. It's not, like, him kind of, like, foretelling much of anything he's just like constantly like reminding them what they should be doing and then in revelation we see that the latter happened i'm, I'm asking like is that like like the latter happened like instead of them following what they were supposed to from paul's letters like they didn't yeah so um some believe that revelation is the last book and it's not because it's placed there in the you know in the in the end of the bible but um, Revelation certainly did uh, was written after Paul's. Paul, I think Paul's last letter may, may have been in sixty five or sixty seven A.D. Um, some theologians place the dating of Revelation um, around seventy two A.D. I think it was after seventy A.D. Wow. Uh, now, so that was the last book written. Um, so yeah, the, the what what they were experiencing did occur afterward after Paul's writings, um, sadly, uh, because you know Paul, like for example, I don't know, I don't think the Church of Colossae was mentioned in the Book of Revelation. There was Pergma, uh, Thyatira, uh, Laodicea. I forget the other churches, um, but yeah. So I, I hope that answers the question. It was written afterward. Um, but without further ado, I want to kind of get through this uh, a little quicker. So I'm not going to have us read as many verses because um, I want to get to the main point. And um, the second point in terms of the gifts is it's used to provide a taste of the age to come. And so, again, the partial we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 10 is a taste. It's not the full thing. When that which is perfect shall come, then we will have the complete satisfaction of the age to come. What do you mean the age to come? That's it's, uh, the Greek word ionos, and it's what Jesus continues to use time and time again when he says um, that the, the kingdom of, is now, but not yet. And the reason why he says not yet is, is again, the, the not yet would... Um, would come to pass when he died, rose again, and ascended. That was when the age to come began. Uh, the new covenant. That's the new age. Okay, not new age in the sense of new ageism, right? <laughs> I'm not talking about that. All right, so let's be clear on that. I'm not I'm talking about that. I'm talking about biblically what Jesus intended to convey when he said new age. It's the, it's, um, all that was prophesied in the Old Testament is the new covenant. Um, and so um, Bible talks about in Second Corinthians one verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, and in chapter 5, verse 5, as well as Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, that the Spirit is our down payment. So the down payment is, again, like a, if any of us is, uh, have placed a down payment on the house or maybe on a car, the car 
uh, we're still making payments, right? And, and this is just an analogy. So it's not a perfect analogy. We place a down payment because we're not, we have yet to fully receive what has been purchased. Now, we don't purchase anything. Jesus makes the purchase. He purchases us. He purchases our salvation. And so the down payment is the Holy Spirit. That is an indication that you are saved. You are a child of God. I don't know if you guys have seen my recent debate on uh, Instagram with the brother, um, not to throw him under the bus or anything. He's a great guy. But we were debating about the, the uh, tongues. Is it necessary? Is water baptism and all that stuff necessary for salvation? And I pointed him to Acts chapter 10, how before water baptism, they're speaking in tongues. They're endued with power, right? They have the Holy Spirit in them. That's indicative. That's an indication. You're a child of God, according to Ephesians chapter 1, um, verse 14. It's a down payment of your salvation. Okay? And so, but that down payment secures and guarantees what is to come. And that down payment is a taste. Okay? It's the partial. And I'll explain further why it's the partial it's partial in the sense that gifts of healing and how do we come to heal only through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Paul says in Galatians, how is it that he works miracles among you? Is it through the hearing of the law or is it through the works of the law or through the hearing of faith? And so it's, it's it, the spirit of God works miracles among us through faith, not through the works of the law. Okay. So, Whenever you see gifts in operation, the manifestations of the spirit that we we just read in the previous verse, as you are e as you are eager about the manifestations of the spirit, make sure you excel in love. So the manifestations of the spirit are the gifts, and the gifts and the healings and all that are a taste of the age to come. Now, gifts of healing prefigure full restoration and perfection, so that when we pray for healing. That is all a taste of what we can expect in heaven for full restoration and, and body healing and bodily healing. Um, knowledge and wisdom prefigures um, a full knowledge of ourselves. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, that we shall fully be known. It says we know in part, but when that which is perfect comes, we shall know fully even as we are known known by God. And then for, and lastly, the diversity of the gifts uh, leads to an interdependence on one another to help promote unity. So the fact is not all of us have the same gifts and it's that for a purpose. It's to indicate and it's to show for all of us that we're not the end all be all. We need each other. We need help from one another. So that's why, you know, the sort of talk of I am church and I don't need nobody, that's just unbiblical. That's an isolationist mentality. And really, you should want to unite because you need the body of Christ and they need you. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're diverse. You know, so not all of you are going to teach. Not all of us are going to sing. Not all of us are going to prophesy. Not all of us. But uh, we all have equally valid and unique and important gifts so that when we unify this this interdependence helps to promote unity and that unity 
is the only way that we can show the world that we love each other and that men will know that we are disciples of Jesus. And that's what he hopes for us to do and accomplish. Because we, we can proclaim the gospel and all that, which is the mission, the great commission. But there's also the great commandments to love one another. So that whatever we say in our proclamation of the gospel, if we're not loving one another, then we're actually contradict. We're sending a contradictory message to the world. And so that's why, like I said, time and time again, look, we can say we're very, very spiritual people, but it's so sad. There's been times and I just stop because it's so disappointing. Like I've had friends on Facebook they you know they'll they'll love the like the smallest thing they see me do like one time i was praying in tongues when we were evangelizing um and someone wanted to chew me out like publicly i'm like and i get that you have a difference of opinion but the point is don't be blocking me after that don't be deleting me oh you this this and that like okay is unity only going to come when we perfectly align with our theology for tick and tack? Like, I mean, to every jot and tittle, like it has to be hair breath precision until we come to unify. No. Now, do we have to have the core essentials, the most important tenets of Christianity intact for us to unify? Yes, because if we don't, then you're not a Christian. You see how that follows? This is important. Please don't be one of those Christians that just goes and blocks people and then gets mad at people because they don't see your viewpoint. That's where maturity comes into play. But finally, I just th- these are the last verses, okay, that I that I want us to read. First Corinthians, and this, and now I'm getting into what the gifts are, okay? And we're not going to spend an exhaustive amount of time on this. Um, I know we've had, uh, we've been on for quite some time now, and so I'm coming to a close. So First Corinthians chapter 12, excuse me, verse, verses 8 through 10. Who has that? I can do it. And make sure you get verse 28 as well. 12, 8 through 10 and 28? Yes. And then uh, can someone get Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8? I think I can do it. Thank you. And then... Wait, what is it again? Romans? Romans chapter 12. Yeah, chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Okay. And then uh can someone get first Peter chapter four verse eleven? I'll go and get it, man. All right, cool, man. What's up, Rose? Good to see you. Good to see you too, man. I'm I'm here. Oh, I, work, I, mean, I mean good to see a picture of you. <laughs> yeah. I'm here at work too, man. I can't, I can't tell my picture right now. <laughs> it's all it's all good, bro. <laughs> Me and Joshua used to work together. I, I don't know if for some of you guys that are up in age, I don't know if you guys Forgive me, man. I hope you're not offended, but 
Uh, I call him Marcus Houston. Tell me you don't look like him. Marcus Houston with an age. Marcus Houston. Oh my goodness. You got served. <laughs> I don't know that, dude. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I, I know. I, you said Mark, Marcus. I, I Marcus. thought he was Marquise. Now I know who you're talking about, though. So we end up in there, too. Look at you with your, with your uh, prayer shawl, bro. Straight <laughs> 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 dude. That's good. <laughs> All right, guys. So. Um, yeah, so Malachi, you would like to read the first verse? Right, 12, 8 through 10. <coughs> yeah. For, for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another for working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the, the interpretation of tongues. Uh, verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Amen. So in verses 8 through 10, what do we have there? Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, Gift of faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits or discerning of spirits, um, tongues, and interpreta uh, interpretation of tongues. Verse 28, we have what's called the offices as well as a mention of some additional gifts, and that's apostle, prophet, teacher, miracles, kinds of healings, helps, administrations, and tongues. Okay, so um, now Romans chapter 12. Verse 6 through 8, if Brother Johnny can read that. Okay, it says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance, in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, if it, if it, if it is encouraged, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then, then, do, then give generously. If it is, if it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Amen. So now I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 um, through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Okay. And then lastly, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. All right. Um, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Man. So right here, he's writing to four different churches, the church at Rome, the church at Ephesus, um, and then First Peter, he's writing to uh, the what is it the dispersion he's writing to the elders that uh i forgot what it was but then in first corinthians he's writing to the church at corinth now the reason why i point that out is because in no single category um 
are listed all the same gifts. So, so in each church, there's either less or more um, gifts that are actually listed. And I, <clears throat> there's a man that, uh, he's a theologian named Wayne Grudem. And he believes that the reason for this is because Paul isn't intending to give an exhaustive list of gifts. And so his argument is that there might be place for gifts that are not even mentioned. And here's his argument is because if there's four different churches, then Paul would undoubtedly want them to be informed in what all the gifts are, right? If they're to be informed, if they're to pursue after whatever gift it is that they have. Because if Paul doesn't educate them on it, then they're going to have a lack of understanding. And so it's not rather Paul, it's not Paul's intended purpose to offer an exhaustive list. Now, I'm not saying that this is absolute. This is just what I've read up on the matter and just take it for what it's worth. And the reason for this, he argues, is that there might be some gifts that, you know, for example, we like to say that uh, you have a, a wonderful gift of singing or you have this gift or would we fail to recognize you know maybe playing an instrument as a gift like the bible doesn't explicitly mention that but certainly we would like to admit that there's some place for that in the church right and but anyways that's neither here nor there just take it for what it's worth the point is that this is nonetheless a listing of the church uh, of some of the gifts now, it's for certain that with regards to the offices, apostle, prophet, et cetera, that those are the only offices, undoubtedly. And the only gift that is mentioned in each and every of the churches was the gift of prophecy. That, that was the one that uniquely was mentioned in all cases. Um, now, <clears throat> here's another thing I read up on, too, is, pre is pretty interesting to take note of, is that there's three different categories of how these gifts fall into play there's the kingly um there's the priestly and then there's the prophetic and so prophetic deals with regards to exhortation teaching and prophesying because that is uniquely concerned for one opening their mouth of, uh, with instruction or prophetic insight whereas priestly is more concerned with comforting comforting acts of mercy and intercession that might be acquainted with tongues as we intercede for people, right? Through prayer, our prayer language, that's what priests did is they would intercede on behalf of the people. And they were mainly those that were comforted or they were instructed to uh, acquaint themselves with the proper protocol on how to deal with the sick. When a leper would come to them, they would have to examine them and, and all that stuff. And so they, they're more on the side of the care orientated aspects of the church or the Old Testament church, that's what the priests were concerned for. And then kingly is administrative leaders, offices, delegation, stuff like that. And so these are really three different categories that you can view these gifts. Um, but lastly, I, I just wanted, those are a list, so you can go back and study those if you wrote down those verses. Um, but I did want to just make this final point and i will go out of your way this is where i think that we could give real great attention to applying what we know it says in romans chapter 12 verse 6 it says that if if uh we have the gift of prophecy this applies to any other gift 
but Paul uniquely mentions that one. He says, in proportion to our faith. So we have a measure of faith that is recognized in the scriptures and that we should proportion our activity in accord with that faith. So that if you don't have faith for something, then it's probably either you need to grow in faith or God has not specifically given you the faith for that, right? And and so we have to be intentional about examining where our faith is at with regards to the gifts. And so this would imply that the strengths of our gifts may vary. So you may very well have the gift of teaching, or you may very well have the gift of exhortation, but um, there may be people that have that gift in a stronger proportion, a, a stronger degree of strength, and you can still learn from them, and that you are actually commanded to grow in your giftings, to sharpen it, and that you can actually impair uh, you, the the usefulness or or your skill in the gift. When I say skill, I'm not just talking about natural ability. I'm talking about really re- refining yourself in the spirit. Um, so the verse for this is Paul says for, to Timothy says, "Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given by the laying on of my hands." In First Timothy. Chapter 4, verse 14. So we can be negligent to the very gift we've been given. If I have been given the gift of an evangelist, and I don't evangelize, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to be sloppy. You know, for example, uh, I don't know how many of you see my recent video speaking to the youth. It's been a while, and it's it really it was a challenge for me because I'm used to talking to grown folks and so I'm having this, I'm like tempted to say we're in a debt with God. I'm like, wait, they're like an elementary. They don't even understand the concept of debt. I'm like, we've done bad things. <laughs> and so I'm not sharpened to talk to them. Some of you might think, Oh, well, you know, you're a gifted speaker and stuff. And I, I don't say that in pride. It's just knowing my measure of faith. Um, but when it comes to certain audiences, like little kids, you know, I, it, I, I spoke to a lot of high school students, but, but kids in elementary, I'm like, you know, I'm like trying to find replacements for words that I normally use. I'm like, they're not going to understand hermeneutics and, you know, this word and theology. What? They're going to scratch their heads and say, what is this guy talking about? And we don't ever want to do that. It's stupid. Like, why just, why use words that people will not understand? If you're going to use them, then make sure to explain it to them, right? But, um, so, I'm def- a little deficient in that area. Doesn't mean I'm not called, doesn't mean I'm not gifted. For the same, by the same token, there are things that you have been called to. And and you might be tempted, like, well, am I? No, it just might mean that you, you're probably negligent in the area. You haven't strengthened it yet. Or you're operating out of your measure. Um, When I say measure, for example, you might very well be an evangelist, but do not be mistaken, an evangelist, if he goes up beyond his measure and beyond his demographics, he might be very ineffective. So that while you're a great evangelist to the people in America, you try to Africa, they're not going to give you a hearing. 
or in a very powerful evangelist in Africa is very inefficient in America because you don't know how to speak the language. There, there's just not the anointing for that. And this is biblical. Look at how Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was an apostle to the Jews. Okay. So you might enter into an arena and thinking you'll be effective. It doesn't mean you're not called. does not mean you're not gifted. It just means you're operating outside of your influence, operating outside of your measure, operating outside of your proportion of faith. Um, it says also in 2 Timothy, says verse uh, chapter 1, verse 6, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God. So you can increase the propensity of, of the effectiveness of your gift by fanning into flame. And that takes work. I don't know what tool they use. I don't know if they use that. I don't know if you've guys seen it's like a um there's like this two wooden sticks, right? And there's like an accordion-like material in the middle that re um Blows, it, it blows oxygen into the fire to like yeah 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 so and you just you keep doing that right i don't know what it was that they were using at the time but the idea there is it requires exercise it requires strength it requires effort and so we're going to fan into the flame the gift of god and remember because paul is telling timothy he's constantly becoming afraid that's why you see the reoccurring theme. You see in Romans, the 16th chapter, he says, welcome our brother Timothy without fear. Not like that they were afraid, but that Timothy was just, uh, and that's why he tells them, don't be timid. Don't be afraid. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. He's telling that to Timothy directly. Because, well, that's why he keeps telling him, don't neglect the gift, fan into flame. So in both letters, he's writing to him. So something you need to be reminded of. And so, you know, Ray Comfort, for example, he's a, he's a good example. They asked him, do you still get afraid? He says, every time, every time I go up to someone, my heart's beating. He's been evangelizing for longer than we've been alive for some of us. Actually, probably all of us here. <laughs> and so he, he has had a number of years, but still he has to fan into flame. Um. <sighs> Okay, I want to read two more verses, and I and it's in relation with that final thing of fanning into flame, and I'll get out of your way. Um, and it's in Acts chapter eighteen, verse twenty-four, and Luke, because he's a writer of Acts, um, he's writing to Theophilus to give an account of the things that happened. It's actually a sequence to uh, Luke the Gospel. Um. And he speaks of Apollos saying that he was mighty um, or um, as the Greek has it, powerful. That comes from the Greek word dunamis, the same sort of power that Jesus says we'll be endued with from on high when we wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. It says he was powerful in the scriptures. So how did the power come? Through the power of the Holy Ghost, through the Holy Spirit. It says he was mighty, he was powerful and eloquent in the scriptures. Okay, so why is there, an, here's what you have to pay attention to, another little key 
uh, for uh, those of us that want to brush up on our skills in English, pay attention to adjectives. Adjectives are the descriptions of nouns. And nouns are person, place, or thing. So if I were to say mighty, that's an adjective. Man, that's a noun. I'm not just talking about a man. I want you to pay attention to the characteristics, the properties, or the descriptions of that thing in particular. So if I were to say beautiful woman, mighty man, little kid, these are all descriptions. And it's intended to communicate to you something about that individual. So in this case, it's talking about a mighty. He was mighty in the scriptures, right? And this is very important. If, if we don't pay attention to that, read those things carefully, we can lose sight of something very um, significant. Um, I, I had a recent discussion, um, and I was, um, it was about being confident in myself. Well, not confident in myself, but in who Christ made me to be, um, thinking highly of myself. And I know it sounds so like you're proud. No, I, it would be pride and it would be sin if it wasn't biblical. Paul says, he doesn't say don't think highly of yourself. He says, do not think more highly than yourself than you ought. So notice the word more, it's a description. It's a comparative term, okay? So those little things make all the difference because what's the alternative? To think low of ourselves, right? If we're in Christ, we should have a proper perspective that I'm a saint of God. It's not false hope. It's not false optimism. It's not none of that stuff. It's not misplaced faith. It's an... I acknowledge who God has made me to be and in proportion to who he's made me to be, I therefore have faith and I have confidence to walk in boldness in who the Lord made me to be and the giftings and the callings of God on my life. Not pride, none of that. Not self-congratulation, no. It's all a gift and I'm thankful for that. And so lastly is Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 verse 18 i thank god that i speak in tongues more than all of you so is he being boastful there no it was it false humility no like like the pharisee oh i thank the old god that you have not made me like these sinners these tax collectors no he was genuinely thanking god because he's praying for these churches more than anyone else but anyways, the reason why I point that out is because he's not negligent of the gift that he's been given, namely tongues. He's exercising it as often as he could. And so that's why Paul is so blazing hot for the gospel and for Christ. But with that said, I'm I am now at a close. Um, I know that's a lot. Um, I have I recorded this just uh, in case any of you guys want to go back and read it. Um, but any final remarks or any questions? Um, can I ask a question, brother? Yeah, absolutely. I actually read a post and I just don't want to think of something else about it, but I just want to bring it up to you and maybe ask for more of your input about it. Um, I read that spiritual deliverance 
quote unquote ministers are not biblical. So in terms of spiritual gift or offices, does that apply to either of that being a spiritual I mean, deliverance minister or something like that? <clears throat> so look, I think that, I think we need to stop with these, these names. Um, we need, okay, on the one hand, labeling something can be useful for purposes of utility, right? It's like, no need to explain. I already know what you believe. You're the first Baptist church, right? Instead of like, oh, you know, uh, or if I, or for example, if I say, you know, I remember a history professor, he's trying to get onto us about, stop labeling people's race. He tried to act all like he was anti-racist and stuff. And it sounded really good on paper. He says, what, what's the purpose of it? So the cops have a great purpose of it if they're needing to look for someone in particular. It was a black man, six foot, uh, a northbound. <laughs> right? It's useful. It, 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 was a, it was a white man, five foot nine, with a red cap. We need to label things sometimes for purposes of utility. Same goes for denominations. I don't want to walk and stumble across a Mormon church. You're wasting my time. Let me know at the front what you believe, right? And they're not going to have a large plaque of, we hereby declare that we believe X, Y. You know, they're just going to say, we're called this, right? So I understand, but we have to be really careful because a lot of times people take pride in that stuff. Um, but the term spiritual deliverer or whatever this guy or people were calling themselves, it's not found in the Bible. And it's more appropriate to say that I just have an experience, uh, a history of casting out demons. God uses me in that area. Because when we start, you know, developing and concocting names, then it just, um, I, I don't, it, we're not being biblically consistent. We're just making up names. And and so, um, but, you know, we, like I said, we just have to be careful, man. Because I've, at least in my experience, when people start calling themselves apostle, and it's not that there aren't apostles. It's just, I find this common strand of Christians that almost have this fantasy about being an apostle, that they just kind of act a certain way. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. Like they're typically the ones that are always pushing people down um, and stuff. Um like I, um, anyways, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't want to beat a dead horse. But the point is this, that sometimes labels are necessary. We have to be careful with them, not to make them up. If it's in the Bible, then, and you're genuinely that, then assign yourself that name if you feel comfortable, because Paul did it. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So it's not anti-biblical, but we just have to be careful not to make up names and just be careful with our words, our, our wording, you know. Um, so I, I guess you, what was your concern is that there's an, a name for spiritual deliverer or what, what do they call themselves? Um, I was just thinking that they're trying to make it feel like that sort of ministry when people are, you know, asking help if there will be anyone who likes to get quote unquote delivered. And so they will call them that, oh, what they're doing is really not biblical. So I'm like, Jesus even himself casted out demons from people so why oh, is it he said oh they said it's not biblical yes 
oh. being a, 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 a spiritual deliverer, having sort of a ministry like that. Oh, um, <clears throat> no, it's it's biblical. Um, now, like I said, you have to be careful because and some of you guys might disagree with me. We could talk about it later. I genuinely believe that a Christian cannot have a demon. Um, I believe that they can be oppressed. Very careful word to distinguish oppression and and possession. Now, again, like I said, you guys can talk to me later. I don't want to make it all about that. Um, but I think that sometimes Christians need deliverance in this sense. That when you pray for them, there's a lot of mo emotional, maybe traumatic baggage that they're going through. That the Apostle James recognized uh, that there is a necessity for, at times, for you to go up to the elders of the church. And it says that the prayer of faith, it says, shall save the sick or, or uh, basically uh, bind up the sick or says something like that. And so while we might think that praying for ourselves is sufficient, sometimes it's not. I know it sounds like something that you may never heard. But if the Bible recognizes praying for one another, there's a reason for it. This goes back to our interdependence on each other and unity. That's what it promotes. And so, for example, there's been times where I had a lot of mo emotional baggage and I, I, I prayed and I had some sense of a peace of God, but it wasn't until someone else laid their hands on me and prayed. Um, I've only fallen down two times in my life. Okay. So let's not make that like a, we should expect that every single time. A lot of times people try to push me down, try to create an experience that was not there. Stop psychologically manipulating people with Christianity. Okay, so that's what it is. And I've heard a lot of testimonies over the years of that happening. But the point is this, that that prayer of faith re-energized me. And it was at times like that, what I was going through was broken. It was broken in half. And so in that sense, it's biblical. Christians need prayer. Christians need um, not deliver because the word deliverance carries certain connotations. That that word actually comes from the Greek word sozo. It just means salvation, to rescue. And so depending on the context, we use the word sozo or deliverance might mean deliverance from a devil, might mean deliverance from sin, might mean deliverance from a traumatic experience. Context determines how we use that word. And so it's just that in our culture, it carries connotations. That person got to devil if you say they need deliverance. So let's be careful with our language. Let's just be, let's be careful to say, you know, they're going through a hard time and I think they just need prayer so they might be encouraged or freed from whatever it is that they're uh, maybe depression or experience that they're going through. And so uh, anyways, but let's uh, close in prayer. Um, Sister uh, Julia, you mind closing us in prayer? If you're still there. You got translated somewhere. She said she was having a problem with something. I don't know if it was her or... Yeah, no, that's just normal Zoom, though. Like, it just takes a long time to unmute for some reason. But, yep, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we just lift up your name and exalt you, Lord, and just acknowledge your presence, Lord, and your salvation and your son, Jesus, Lord. We thank you for, um, for this lovely fellowship, Lord. I thank you for every brother and sister that's in this meeting, God. I pray that um, we may have been refreshed or reminded of, of some truths in this fellowship. Um, Lord, I pray that you'll continue to um, root your word in us, Lord. Just water this word throughout the week, Father, and please help us to find more time to get in your word and even to fellowship throughout the week, oh God. Um, I pray that you will remind us of your word right when we need it, um, that this meeting will not be in vain, Father. And Lord, I pray that we all grow in your grace and in your truth. Um, Yes, Lord, just bless our minds and um, continue to bless us as you, um, you increase your your presence and you sanctify us um, through our own prayer life and through our own studies of your word, Father, that we may be sanctified by your truth. So I thank you and I pray that everyone in this meeting will go in peace, Lord, that um, your peace would continue to be ministered in our hearts. Yep, that we may all find a place of rest in you, Lord. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Well, uh, I just want to say I'm glad that you guys came on. It's always a blessing and honor to have you guys join. You guys are indeed uh, um, my family, and I am very thankful. We are very grateful for you all. Um, and you are all unique, and I just want to leave you with this final word to encourage you guys to stir up the gift of God in your lives, to keep fanning into flame the gift of God. I know sometimes there's a lot of frost, there's a lot of snow that would like to damper your faith and 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 hamper it and 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 uh, and really just snuff it out. Um, but let's be here for one another. Let's continue to pray for one another as our family in Christ. Um, let's continue to maintain love for one another. Um, cause I, there's, there's a, there's an intimacy that is developed when we're fighting for, with each other. That's why I hear there's such a great bond in the military for when you're in the trenches with each other, you got each other's back. Just keep showing love in just unique ways. Just a word can go the longest way. Trust me. Uh, praying for someone can go the longest way. And so let's fight for one another and don't give up. Keep looking to Jesus Christ. He's a perfect uh, captain of salvation and he'll keep you. When, uh, when no one else is there, trust me, you can bank on his word. He'll keep you. So with that said, uh, we're all dismissed. And I hope that you guys are joyed in the presence of the Lord and, and his strength and peace. And uh, so God bless you all. Bless you too, brother. Thank you. Thank you. God bless everybody here. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.